0: So as a leadership, as a staff, as a session, we have been praying for months about uh, the direction we're going to move for the rest of the year. We're going to be simply talking about the person of Jesus. Jesus is the center of all things. We just have to learn to align our lives to that. He is the source and the sustainer of our salvation, though we try to please God on our own, as we try to work for him and try to do things to get his attention. Listen, Jesus is the center of our salvation and the sustainer of our salvation. In him we live and move and have our being. That's what Acts says. He is everything to us. And here can be the real danger of coming week in and week out, growing up in an environment where we're taught about jesus and we read about jesus and we sing about jesus we can begin to forget and lose sight of the magnitude and the beauty of jesus and one of the other dangers that comes with that is we think we know jesus and we move further and further away from jesus and so we hope that For the rest of this year, as we just dive into Scripture and we see what Scripture says about Jesus, that we will pay a price together to seek to know Him more. And I say pay a price because if you come on Sunday morning and you just listen to this pastor preach, you're not going to go much further in your knowledge of Jesus than you are right now. But we have sought to order everything into the fall to pull you into a deeper knowledge of Jesus. We are coordinating what's taught from the pulpit within the children's ministry as best we can, within the youth ministry as best we can, within our international ministry as best we can, so that we'll all focus on the same things, the same ideas around Jesus. We put a going deeper in your bulletin every week, but especially these going deepers are going to be geared towards not just what the sermon talks about, but helping you dig into the things of Jesus on your own. Listen, don't take my word for it. Go to the word. Go to Jesus. Let him reveal things to you about himself that he hasn't shown you yet. Listen, he wants to do that. And I believe if we'll give ourselves to this, then we'll see things about Jesus that we just have not understood before. 30 years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book called The Jesus I've Never Known. And when I was a 15-year-old, someone put that into my hands, and that book, for the first time, helped me understand that Jesus was more than just this character that I, I saw in Sunday school and youth group. He was a real person, a real God, who lived a life like I did except didn't blow it like i did and that he wanted to know me he wanted to have a relationship with me and i could actually know him i'm praying that this series will be as effective for you as it was for me way back in that day gosh it's 30 years ago how about that so can we just open our bible because of everything i can say about jesus the word says it's so much better it says it's so much better so we want to go to luke chapter 22 i encourage you to take some notes To write anything down, the Holy Spirit points out to you about Jesus so you can think about it during the week. But I encourage you, pay the price to read and study and go to Jesus in prayer between these weekends so that he can begin to reveal himself to you in a fresh way. So up to this point in Luke 22, Jesus has come 33 years into life and ministry. He knows the end is coming. He is hours away from the crucifixion. He is spending that time investing in these 12 disciples that he has poured the most of his life into. He has a meal with them. He is trying to explain to them what's happening, but they're not getting it. They can't understand. They don't have a box for Jesus saying things like this I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders, I'm going to die and after three days I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. They just didn't have a box for that, even when he told them point blank. So he's trying to prepare them for the grief that's coming and the transition that's about to happen in the next couple hours and as he interacts with them, I want you to see in his heart to bless them and help them understand they just didn't get it which is amazing because it comforts you and me because most of the time I feel like when it comes to Jesus, I just don't get it. But he is just so precious and so patient with us, isn't he? To just bring us along and reveal himself to us and bring us to the word. So we go to Luke, and here's what's happened. Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples that the way to greatness in the kingdom of God is through servanthood. That we should not lord over those around us and under us with authority, but we should be a servant of all and be willing to do that. He had heard those bickerings back and forth, those scraps, even within the 12, about who was the greatest and who did Jesus like more and all of those things. And Jesus said, don't be like the world. That's not what the kingdom is about. And then he turns his attention to Simon Peter. And if you're familiar with the Gospels at all, Peter was the one that went first, right? He was the loud one. He's the one that got out of the boat to walk with Jesus on water. He was the first one to confess Jesus. He was kind of that that thermostat of the apostles. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? He kind of affected the spiritual tone of the apostles. When Peter got it, they got it. When Peter struggled, they struggled. And so Jesus looks at Peter, and this is what he says, chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And I want you to take your pen, I want you to underline all of you, because up until just recently, as I had read these passages before, it doesn't just show up in Luke, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, the same passage. This is the first time that I saw that Luke points out, it's not just Peter who is going to be sifted by Satan in this moment. He says, Simon satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat that you as the twelve my closest followers are about to go through this trial all of you are about to go through it verse 32 but i have prayed for you simon that your faith may not fail and when you've turned back strengthen your brothers so let me unpack that for you he's promised that satan has asked to sift them Sifting in Jesus' time was this process by which you took wheat after you harvested. it. And you would take it to a granary and you would bang it on a bit of a metal screen. And what it would do is it would take the kernels of the wheat and it would cause the kernels to fall through that screen and then it would keep the stalk and everything else, the bigger parts of it, mostly out of the way. But even once you did that, before you could grind it into flour, what you had to do is you had to take those kernels of wheat and you would put them in a basket and you would take them and you'd shake them back and forth and toss them up into the air and wind would come and it would blow chaff away. All of the useless parts of those kernels would be carried away by the wind, and you would keep sifting those kernels until all the chaff was gone. So you know what Jesus is saying? Satan is coming to test what's real in you. He wants to know, are you the real deal? Are you everything you're claiming to be? He's coming to sift you as wheat all of you he's coming and jesus says this very interestingly and i've prayed for you simon that your faith may not fail you know what he didn't say and i've forbidden satan from coming after you peter he says no nah, nah. he's asked to sift you and guess what i've given him permission to do it this isn't a sermon on satan but let me just give you something you do need to understand about satan god and satan are not like rivals they don't just trade blows back and forth there's not some days that god wins and some days that satan wins listen satan is nothing like jesus he's not even in the ballpark of jesus his power is nothing compared to jesus he is not jesus's rival what happens is every single time satan wants to accomplish anything on the earth he has to go to jesus and say hey can i do this and if jesus says no guess what it doesn't happen It doesn't slip through the cracks. He doesn't sneak attack him in the back or whatever. If Jesus says no, it doesn't happen. But if Jesus says yes, he always puts that parameter on it. And here's what's always amazing. It's always to further the kingdom. It's always to help you grow. And if Jesus allows Satan to attack, you've got what it takes to withstand it. You do. You do. And Peter had what it took too. Because when this process was over, even though... Peter is going to fail in it. Listen to what Jesus speaks over him. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew he was going to fail. And what else did Jesus know? He was going to repent and come back. So he builds him up. He says, listen, Satan's asked to sift you. But when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Why does he tell Peter that again? He was that thermostat for the other disciples. They would all be sifted. They were all going through that time. He says, Peter, I want you to be the one that rallies the disciples again after this attack. Verse 33. Don't you love Peter? Listen to this. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, not in three years, not in 30 years, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. So I want you to skip down to verse 54 because Judas has already betrayed Jesus. We don't know exactly why Judas betrays Jesus. We get hints along the way. But for whatever reason, in the three years that Judas saw the same things Peter saw, the same lessons, the same miracles, the same Jesus... Peter bought it, and Judas never bought it. And for whatever reason, at the end of things, Judas decided not only he didn't believe who Jesus was, but that it was worth handing him over to the religious leaders of his day. He does exactly that. He makes this promise with the religious leaders that Jesus will be in this place, I'll lead you there, you can have him there, and that's exactly what happens. They come, they come to arrest Jesus, down to verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. You see, the other apostles had already fled in fear. Peter tries to resist and then acts in fear again, but he follows at a distance, verse 55, And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also were one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. And About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Just imagine that. On trial in the house, Peter sitting in the courtyard. Jesus knows exactly what's happening. And at the moment of his third denial, the moment the rooster crowed, Jesus turns and looks straight into the courtyard and directly at Peter to catch his eye. And I believe that was the worst moment of Peter's life. Verse 62. He went outside and wept bitterly. So Peter, who stepped out of the boat to walk on water. Peter, who was the first to confess Jesus as the Son of God. Peter, who said only minutes, hours before, Jesus, I will never deny you. I will go to prison and death for you. That Peter, who was so sure of who he was and what he could do in the kingdom and how strong he was, that Peter has now denied Jesus three times and Jesus has confronted him on that. From a distance, with just a look, he has confronted Peter in that moment. And Peter hits rock bottom. And you know, I don't think Peter is alone, because I think there are so many of us that have hit rock bottom too. Maybe you know what it's like to have fought that battle with alcohol for years and years and years but to see that battle lost anyway and find yourself at the bottom of a bottle in a broken family with a lost job and nowhere to go from there. Maybe you're at a place where your marriage has fallen apart around you. Where the movement of time and the little betrayals and the little unforgivenesses has now moved you to a place with your spouse that you are so far gone that you're, you're asking yourself, why, why are we even together anymore? Or maybe it's your spouse who walked out on you and you're questioning everything about who you are, everything about what you believed, everything you poured into your marriage, your children, You're questioning and all of that. Because you're saying to yourself, if Jesus is who Jesus is, then how did this happen? And you're at the bottom of things. Maybe this week was the first time that you stumbled into pornography. And now your heart and your mind is filled... With such incredible filth that you had no idea it was even there. You feel like the worst person who's ever walked the face of the earth. You have no feeling in your heart out. You just feel dead inside. And you wonder, can Jesus possibly love me? Can Jesus possibly restore me in this? Maybe you're there and I want to say something to you. You're in the same place that Peter was. The Peter who became the leader of the early church the peter who wrote first and second peter who we're still reading 2000 years later the peter that we trace our christian history back to in the church in rome that peter you're in the same company so how did he get from rock bottom peter to that peter Because we have to know how you get from rock bottom you right now to where God wants you to be. And I'm telling you, it's the same process. So let's go to John chapter 21. I don't have time to read all of that. Everything that's happened the rest of that night everything that happens that morning, everything that happens when Jesus is beaten 39 times before the crucifixion, where he stands trial, not only before the religious leaders, but also before Pilate, how he's sentenced to death unjustly, how he carries his cross all the way to Golgotha, where he is crucified, stripped of his clothes, put on display for all to see, and over the course of those hours, bears the weight and the wrath of God for your sin and my sin, But praise God, three days later, the cross wasn't the end of Jesus. The grave wasn't the end of Jesus. The resurrection was the move of Jesus, right? And he rises from the grave, proving he's exactly who he claimed to be. He was God himself, that he could defeat death and sin. And now the power of the resurrection has broken forth. And I want you to get this before we get to John chapter 21 before we get there, Peter saw the empty tomb. Peter had seen Jesus after the resurrection. Are you with me? John 21. Afterward. And the afterward, baby, is everything I just told you. But specifically after the resurrection... Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. By the way, where was Jesus resurrected from the dead? It's in Jerusalem. You know how far away the Sea of Galilee is from Jerusalem? It's five days walk. Which means Peter and the boys had gone home because that's where they were from. And where did Jesus meet them? Five days walk. He went after his disciples. It happened this way Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples, were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, We'll go with you. So again, the thermostat of the group, right? I don't know what to do. I don't have a plan. So I'm going to go back to fishing. That's what I was doing before Jesus came along. Jesus is gone. I'm going back to fishing. And you know what the others said? All right, let's go fish. So they go fish. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So a little tidbit for you, in ancient times when they would fish, especially in the Sea of Galilee, you fished at night because fish would come to the surface to eat bugs at night. And when the sun would come up, they would dive down deep into the sea to avoid the heat so you didn't fish during the day because you wouldn't catch anything. They fished at night. But this has not been a very productive night, has it? They go out to fish. No fish. Now it's morning. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? How many of y'all fish? Don't you just love when someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, you catch anything? Now, you love it when you've caught something because you're like, oh, yeah, look at these 23. Look at that. But if you haven't caught anything, do you like that question? Hey, you caught anything? No. Meaning, get out here, leave me alone so I can catch a fish. You especially don't like that question if you hadn't caught anything all night long, right? Hey, friends, have you have you caught anything? No, they answered, and he said, "Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some." You really don't like that, do you, fishermen? You really don't like someone saying, "Well, maybe if you use worms instead of this." Did you use a bobber? I mean, this is dark water. Did you cast over there? where The the, the bass are going to be under that fallen tree right over there. You really don't like that guy, do you? Telling you how to fish. Hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. Because you know fish are only on one side of a boat in the ocean. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of Fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved. Spoiler, that's John. John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. And when he refers to himself in the Gospel, he refers to himself as the Apostle, the the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! How did John catch that? Because back in Luke 5, that's how John and Peter first became followers of Jesus. Jesus is teaching one day. They haven't called anything. Jesus steps in their boat, says, hey, will you push out a little bit and let's fish, even though it's daytime? Hey, would you fish? They push out, let down their nets, and what happens? So many fish in the nets that it fills up Peter's boat and it fills up John's boat, and they have to call other guys to fill up the boat. So it clicks. It's been three and a half years, but John, he, miraculous catch, daytime nets full it clicks john says that's the lord look at what happens as soon as simon peter heard him say it's the lord he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water he didn't wait for the boat to get to the shore he had to be close to jesus Those days were miserable for him. Being in that broken place without Jesus. Without that intimate relationship with Jesus. And so he jumps in the water. If Jesus is going to show up on the shore, then I'm going to Jesus. So he jumps in the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. We're talking a football field. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Isn't that cool how Jesus makes them a little breakfast, has a little fire going for him. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. I'm always interested to figure out who counted the fish. I mean, he went back and counted the fish, but someone wanted to make sure you knew it was 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. And Jesus said, come and have some breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Here's why John puts that tidbit in there, because after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he physically looked different. He would talk to people and they would recognize his voice, or he would do certain things and they would recognize his actions, but physically he looked different. And so they know it's Jesus, even though he doesn't look like Jesus, but they know it's Jesus. So they sit with him. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Did you catch that in front of everyone? Everyone's at breakfast. But he decides to look across the fire at Peter. Peter. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's putting somebody on the spot, isn't it? And you love me more than John? You love me more than Didymus? You love me more than James? You love me more? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you catch what Jesus has just done? Just a few days ago, Peter swore he would never betray Jesus. Never denounce him. Just minutes later, he flees for his life. He goes all the way to the courtyard Of the ones who put Jesus on trial. And what was he doing? He was warming himself by the enemy's fire. And what has Jesus done? He's built a fire for Peter. And what did Peter do around the enemy's fire? He denied Jesus three times. So what does Jesus do around his fire? He asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And while Peter had to deny Jesus in front of the enemy, now he has to confess Jesus in front of his friends. That is some targeted reconciliation, isn't it? You think Jesus did not know what he was doing? Oh, no, he knew what he was doing. And by the way, why the same miracle three and a half years later? Because it was the miracle that called Peter the first time. And now it's the same miracle to call Peter back. Are you following me? Listen, Jesus knows what's up, baby. He knows what's up. And after he says, you love me? He says this. Very truly, I tell you, when you're younger... dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you're old you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go and Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God and then he said follow me Peter you said you go to prison you said you'd die for me when you're older Peter someone is going to tie your hands and they're going to imprison you and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. Follow me. And you know what Peter did about 30 years later? In front of Nero in Rome 8064. He was told to renounce Jesus and he refused. And so Nero took Peter's wife and crucified her in front of Peter. And he wouldn't deny Jesus. And then he was sentenced to be crucified, and Peter said, no, 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 I want you to crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. And Nero obliged. So what Peter promised in his arrogance the power of God allowed him to fulfill at his death. That is the resurrection power of Jesus. That is the reconciliation and restorative power of Jesus. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So as we wrap up today, I just want you to take your bulletin and I want to just give you five truths about restoration because you've got to see this, you have to see this. Peter had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. But he was not experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus. When did it change? When Jesus came to him, restored him, and there was reconciliation. And just weeks later, this Peter filled with the Holy Spirit is going to preach a sermon that we talked about just two weeks ago in which three to 6,000 people responded to the gospel at one time. How did that happen? The resurrection power of Jesus. What changed? Peter's reconciliation to Jesus. So let's talk about restoration. Number one, Without restoration, we will return to our old ways of living. When there's brokenness between you and Jesus, when you've blown it, when that relationship is hard and broken, without restoration, we will return to our old ways. Even after he saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, what does Peter say? Let's go fishing. Why? because there was brokenness between him and Jesus so he returned to his old way you'll do the same the longer you stay separate from Jesus the longer you allow an unreconciled relationship with Jesus to remain the more you will be tempted to walk away from Jesus and stay there but praise God that Jesus goes and finds us number two Jesus sought out Peter and met him right where he was. Jesus went and found him five days walk in Galilee. Jesus knew he was going fishing, so Jesus showed up early and he was on the seashore. And he kindled a fire and evidently he baked some bread. Or maybe he just, I don't know, he's Jesus. Maybe, I don't know what he did, but he had bread and he already had fish. Isn't that interesting? He said, go get some of your fish, but there was already fish because he's God, he he does that. But there was bread and there was fish. He met Peter where he was. He's the one who sought out Peter. You know, the enemy is going to lie to you when you're in a broken relationship with Jesus and he's going to tell you, you're the one that needs to fix everything with Jesus. Listen, Jesus is seeking you out. He's seeking you out. He wants reconciliation with you. He's seeking you. Number three, Jesus personalized the restoration process in a way that Peter could receive it. Miraculous catches, breakfast, a fire, three questions to overcome three betrayals, a challenge, he personalized it for Peter. He's doing the same thing for you this morning. Now, I know what you're saying, Mal. I, I would love that. I would love for Jesus to personally seek me out and to order the circumstances of my life. Hey, listen, welcome to what Jesus is doing in your life right now. We planned this sermon, this series, back in April. It's August. I wrote this sermon in June. Not this week, June. We scheduled it for this week. This week, of all the other weeks, I could have preached this. It's nice, preachers. It's nice having a sermon ready to go. That would have come in really handy, like late June, first of July. But that's not when we prayed about when we decided to preach this sermon. So two months it's been in the hopper, it's been ready to go. But we chose this morning, and you're listening to this sermon. And you came this morning. Of all the mornings that you came, you came this morning. Or you turned on whatever you're watching. And maybe it's not Sunday morning. Maybe it's Wednesday afternoon. Maybe you are scrolling Facebook and a good looking preacher popped up. You're like, gosh, I gotta stop. I gotta watch whatever that is. Maybe you're on a break at work. Maybe this is 2025 when you're watching this. Jesus ordered all that. You know why? Because he cares about you. He loves you. He wants your reconciliation. He wants to restore you. He know what he's know. He knows what you've done, and he loves you anyway. And that's true for every one of you too. I I, I don't want to bring to Jesus what I've done. Jesus knows what you've done. Jesus knows what you've done. The only barrier between you and reconciliation is you. It's not Jesus. Jesus has built the fire this morning. He's baked the bread. He has caught the fish. He's just waiting for you to show up and sit and have breakfast. He's waiting on you. He ordered all that for you. Because he loves you. Number four. He called Peter to renewed faithfulness. I love what Jesus did. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do something for me. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love me. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love me. Feed my lambs. You know it's exactly what Peter did. You can go to 1 Peter, you can go to chapter 5, and he says this about elders. He says, watch over the flock of God as under-shepherds of Jesus, I think Peter took that command personally. He took it personally. Jesus called him to greater faithfulness. Listen to me. It's not just about your reconciliation. It's about you getting on track with Jesus again. Some of you fell years ago and you laid all your dreams that Jesus had for you on the shelf. I want to say something to you. This is the morning to pick it back up. Jesus is not through with you yet. He's not through with you. Just because your spouse quit on your marriage, Jesus hasn't quit on you. Just because there's brokenness between you and your children, listen, pick up your dreams again. Pick them up again. Because Jesus doesn't just want reconciliation, he wants greater faithfulness from you. He wants you moving on to the next thing, the next thing. This is how Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take, that, uh, take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Peter said, I'm pressing on. It's, it's behind. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. He's calling you to greater faithfulness than number five. He moved Peter's focus off of others' experience with Jesus and onto Peter's experience with Jesus. Peter did this thing that I do and that every one of us does at some point. Peter and Jesus are walking along. He looks over his shoulder and he sees John. He says, Listen, what are you doing in John? I know what you're doing in me. What are you doing in John? And you know what Jesus says? He doesn't say, Well, here's what I'm doing in John. You know, John and I are. It's not what he did. What did he say? I'll do whatever I want to with John. You follow me. You and I get so caught up in what Jesus is doing in everyone around us that we have no focus on what Jesus wants to do in us. And I have have news for you. You look at your brokenness, you just don't know her brokenness. You look at your failure, you just don't know her failure. There are seasons where Jesus uses you powerfully, and there are seasons he uses someone else powerfully. If we focus on other people, we will take our eyes off what Jesus wants to do in us. My friend Chris Lewis says this he says, Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. I love looking at our congregation. I love to see how Jesus uses you. You guys are powerful ministers and deacons and elders. I love to see what Jesus does, but I can't focus on you. I can't focus on that because all that's going to do is discourage me. What I'm looking for is what Jesus is doing in me. Because when I focus on that, then it spills over and it spurs us on to love and good deeds. We have to take our focus off what Jesus is doing in everybody else and keep our focus on what Jesus is doing in us. And here's what's going to happen today because our praise team is going to come. Y'all go ahead and get in place. And this is a chance for us to respond to the unique invitation that Jesus has given you to be restored and reconciled to him. And as he offers you that opportunity here's what's going to happen you're going to think to myself i can't come to talk to that pastor i can't come and pray with one of the elders i can't come to the altar i can't i can't show someone that jesus is moving in my life because this is what they're going to think oh look man look look at what's happening in brand's life man he must really need to get reconciled with jesus and the enemy's going to keep you in that place where you're still distant with jesus and you know why it's going to be because what somebody else thinks I, I think I can speak for 90% of the people in here. There's nobody in here that's gonna judge you for what Jesus is doing in your life. In fact, we're gonna be celebrating what Jesus is doing in your life. And you know what? It's none of their business anyway. At least you had the courage. At least you had the courage to respond to Jesus. Who cares what people think? So let's stand. This pastor will be right here if you want to talk. The elders and their wives will be spread around. If you want to talk, the the altar is open. You just need to respond to Jesus. Whatever he's doing, please listen to me. Please don't leave this place until you're reconciled and restored with Jesus. Today's the day. Let's respond.